How's everybody doing today? Come on. Listen, I'm excited for this message today. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a weapon. And so we do warfare by worshiping God. When we choose to sing, when we choose to dance, when we choose to lift our hands, clap our hands, when we choose to uh, take part in worship, we literally are doing warfare. We are literally coming against the spirit of darkness and God fights for us. We don't have to fight. We're going to see this in the scriptures today. It's, it's fantastic. Oh, I'm so encouraged. All right, I want to start with this. I want to start with this. Right. Oh, we got that. Okay. I had a little accident. The, the cord got caught in the seat. We're all good. I want to start with this statement today. Listen to this, and then we're going to jump further into worship. We're going to check out the word. But listen to this. The key to emotional health is to rejoice always. How many of us need help in our emotional health. Many of us. The key to mental health is to give thanks in all things. It's a quote by Bill Johnson. And so think about that just for a moment. The key to emotional health. If you're struggling with your emotional health, the key is to rejoice always. Worship heals your emotions. That's scriptural? It is. And the key to mental health We'll see that, and we're going to cover that in just a second. The key to mental health is to give thanks in all things. And so as we give thanks, and as we worship, God gives us emotional and mental healing. Isaiah 61 says that God gives us the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, or for the spirit of depression. Right, And so if we have mourning, which is an emotional thing, God gives us the oil of joy. He wants to give us joy. And if we have heaviness, if we have depression, God wants to give us the garment of praise. When we put on the garment of praise, when we receive the garment of praise, right? I received this jacket. Hold on for a second. When I receive the garment of praise, it's not so I can just hang it in the closet and say, oh, isn't that nice? Look what I got. When we receive the garment of praise, we're supposed to put it on. How much better does it look on me rather than just hanging? Come on. on. Shout out to Pastor Chris. Pastor Chris Garabedian. Listen. We're We're supposed to do something with the gifts God gives us. If we don't do something with the gifts God gives us, he'll give them to somebody else. When God gives you the garment of praise, you better praise. You better do something with it. (laughs) Don't let me see you standing around. (laughs) Peace comes, listen, peace comes when we give thanks in all things. Philippians 4, give thanks in all things. The peace of God uh, be anxious for nothing, but in all things, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests be known, made known to God. And the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts. The peace, of, the, the peace that passes all understanding won't come if we're not thankful in all things. And so as we give thanks in all things, we receive mental health. It's good stuff. 
worship. We need to worship and we need to give thanks. Psalm 100, enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into, uh, into his chambers with praise. Come on. All right, I want to start here. This is where I want to start. That was just an extra. You needed to know that. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devils. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, and against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so what we know from this scripture is that our battle is not in the natural. Our battle is in the spiritual. Our battle is not in the natural. It's not in the physical. You're not going to punch somebody's lights out when you're doing battle. You're not going to pick up the sword. Jesus said, put the sword back in its place. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. We're not called to fight physical, physical fights any longer. It's spiritual battles. And so when somebody stands against us, stands against us as a Christian, stands against us as an individual, stands against you, stands against me, stands against the church, we do battle in the spiritual realm. The scripture here tells us to put on the whole armor of God. And so many of you are familiar with the whole armor of God text, right? The helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace, all of these different pieces of the armor of God. And then it ends with the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Give me that mic. Excuse me, guys. black one. There we go. I don't know if it was bugging you, but it was bugging the heck out of me. So, <laughs> The sword of the Spirit. The last thing is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. If we keep reading Ephesians 6 here, it says the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so this is your sword, guys. You got to have your, you got to know your sword. And so as we use the Word of God, we're using a sword in the spiritual realm. And then it says, after talking about the sword, still talking about the spiritual weapons of warfare, it says, and pray at all times, on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers for all people. So after he gets done talking about the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit, he starts to talk about prayer. Prayer is a weapon. You know what? I don't think he listed it in the different types of weapons that were available because he had no context for it. It's air support. Think about it. When the army's on the ground, and they call in air support. Yo, we need help. The planes come in, and they defeat the enemy. Those guys on the ground didn't even have to fire a shot. This is, this is us, guys. We call in air support. Pray. Jesus. And he comes, and he fights for us, and he does battle, and he wins the victory. And then he holds our hand up, just like Pastor Stacy was saying. He's like, you did a great job. I'm like, I didn't do anything. I called for help. I called for help, and you're holding up my hand like I'm number one. How did it, that is, this is our God. This is our God. He lets us rest while he wars for us. But we have to let him war for us, and we have to ask him to. We have to actually pray it out. Part of prayer is worship. And I, and I touched on this last week. We're going to look at it a little bit more today. We just talked about Ephesians 6 where it talked about one of the weapons of our warfare is prayer. One aspect of prayer is worship. And so, this is the Our Father. 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Jesus told us to pray this way. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses or sins as we forgive those who as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so part of Jesus's prayer, part of the model prayer that Jesus taught us to pray is worship. All of the worship in the prayer there is underlined. If you look at it, if you just glance at that quick, it's more than a tenth. It's probably about a sixth or a fifth. I didn't count the words to be exactly sure how many but it's a good portion of the text is worship. It's giving God glory. It's telling God that he's worthy. It's telling God who he is. And so part of the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray like this. He started with worship and we ended with worship. And so anytime we pray, we worship. Derek Prince said this. I mentioned this last week. He said, if you only have 10 minutes to pray, spend eight of them worshiping. I'm like, come on, sign me up. It'll make your prayer that much more effective. How does that work? Because when we come to a place where we lay everything down and we begin to first worship God, we get our place into a, we get our heart into a place where our heart is right, and then it makes our prayers more effective. James talks about the prayer, the prayers of a, of a righteous man are, availeth much, right? And he said, too often we pray and we pray amiss. But if we come with an attitude of worship and we first begin to praise God and we first begin to lift him on a high, then we won't pray and miss. And we'll pray and we'll hit the mark. We'll pray the, the intended mark of God. When we worship God, we, we come into alignment with the will of God. And then when, our, when we pray, we pray prayers that work. Amen. Amen. Jesus. Years ago, uh, we were out at Mount Zion in Utica. And Bill Johnson was speaking to, I uh, quoted him, I'm going to quote him twice today. Uh, he was speaking to pastors and leaders, and he talked about, and they were just talking about random stuff. There, he wasn't, this wasn't a study, he was just talking, and he said, you know, if I'm, if I'm in a, if I'm in a um, service and I sense something in the spirit that's not right, I'll just have a worshiper go up front and worship and begin to dance. And, you know, I was like, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> Worship does battle in the spiritual realm. And we're going to see this in a minute. We're going to take a look at some scriptures. Worship does battle in the spiritual realm. Is there, is there, is there truth to that? Think about it. When, when the spirit of God departed from King Saul and an evil spirit came, 1 Samuel chapter 16 Samuel goes and he anoints David king, and the Spirit of God comes upon David. It says the Spirit of God departed from Saul, and an evil spirit came and distressed him. And it said, the, the, the kingly advisor said, hey, let us find somebody who's skillful at playing the harp and let him come and play. And they did. And what would happen was whenever David, they happened to find David, who had the Spirit of God, and whenever David would play the harp, Whenever David would worship God, because David didn't just play a harp, David always worshiped God. Whenever David would worship God, the evil spirit would depart from Saul, and he found rest. So worship caused the enemy to flee. Listen, I'm convinced that 
the, the demons and the devil cannot stay in a place where God is worshipped. I'm convinced of it. Do you feel like you're being beat down by some enemy force? Just start to worship God. Put on some, put on some songs. I mean, just pull up some YouTube, whatever you got to do. You know, I don't have, we used to have all the coolest, latest, greatest CDs back when they sold those things. I don't know, can you even buy them anymore? And now it's digital music. And so I don't buy digital music. I watch stuff on YouTube. I watch stuff on wherever, uh, Pandora I listen to often. But I make no short, um, there's no shortage of worship in my life. I've been worshiping all week. And when I can't find a radio and I don't have my phone near me, I'll just lift my own voice and song. It's just as good. It's just as good. I mean, not for you to listen to, obviously. <laughs> but it's accomplishing the same, if not more, in the spiritual realm. Yeah. Yeah, that's Don't be distracted by the quality. We're distracted by the quality. God's not distracted by the quality. He just wants to hear your voice. He just wants to hear your heart. We should do all things skillfully. I'm not saying that we shouldn't play skillfully. Thank God we have skillful musicians. And if you can't carry your tune, you can't be on the worship team. <laughs> Let everything be done with excellence, right? Uh, Daniel had a spirit of excellence, and he was rewarded for it. We should have a spirit of excellence, and we do. We do everything as best as we can. But when I'm all alone and I'm all by myself, I'll sing. And when I'm home and my family's around, I'll sing. <laughs> They've gotten used to it. <laughs> I'm not really that bad. I know I talk about how I can't carry a tune, and I'll probably never be on the worship team, and that's okay. I'm actually going to sign up for voice lessons. It's a thing that I, I've planned to do, uh, but since COVID, the, uh, the voice instructor that I know has not been having students, so I will, I will take voice lessons just because I want to be able to stand up here and sing a little bit and not have you guys, you know, be in pain. <laughs> worship, worship, come on, worship causes the enemy to flee it causes the enemy to flee he just backs up and runs the other way i'm convinced that the enemy cannot stay where god is being worshiped convinced of it second chronicles chapter 20 you guys probably all know this verse if not you're about to hear it this is uh this is the account where, uh, I'm in the, there we go. Jesus, Jehoshaphat, and the army comes against it. Let's just start reading in chapter 1, or chapter 20, verse 1. It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others besides the, the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazan Tamar, which is in En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. From all of the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So this is the first thing that, that Jehoshaphat does right. Here comes an enemy. See, in the Old Testament... God's power was defined by military might and military exploits. In the New Testament, Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's a spiritual kingdom. So it's a little different. We don't look for military exploits to define 
the kingdom of God. We don't look for political victories to define the kingdom of God. We look to the spirit. We look to the spiritual realm, and we fight in the spiritual realm. But this is the first thing that, that Jehoshaphat does right. There's an army coming against the, the, the nation, and Jehoshaphat says, hey, we're all going to pray. Proclaim a fast. Everyone's fasting. Everyone's praying. Come on, let's get together and seek the Lord. First thing he does right. Then, then Jehoshaphat, verse 5, stood in the midst of the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all of the kingdoms of the nations? And your hand, and in your hand, is there not power and might? And so he gets together and he just starts to proclaim who God is. God, don't you have the power? God, don't you rule over nations? God, isn't there might in your right hand? so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to your descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Wasn't it forever, God? Who are these people coming in here? He reminds God of the word. This is what your word says. This is what you said to Abraham. And they dwelt in it, and you have built a sanctuary in your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword and judgment, pestilence, famine, we stand before this temple in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. And now hear all the people of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of Egypt, but they came out... Here they are rewarding us by coming to throw us out of our own possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Praise God. Praise God. Here is this impossible task. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Now all of Judah with their little ones, their wives, their children stood before the Lord, the whole nations involved in this. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all of you of Judah, you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. He's telling them, listen. God says, listen, go out, and you're not going to need to fight. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, O Judah and Jerusalem. You know, one thing that I've learned over 28 years, God's not in a hurry. God's not in a hurry. I mean, he has all the time in the world. He's eternal. We're, God's not limited by time. Time means nothing to him. And so if it's a minute or five years, there's no difference. 
Do you understand, right? You follow me? And so because God's eternal and he exists outside of time, it doesn't matter if it happens today or tomorrow or 10 years from now. I mean, he wants it to happen. He wants certain things to happen. But God's never in a hurry. He doesn't have to be. It doesn't make a difference on his end. It makes a difference. I'm not saying it doesn't make a difference. God's just not in a hurry. Glory to God. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Do not, be fear, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed to the ground, worshiping the Lord. Then the Levites, the children of the Kohites, and the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, God of Israel, with voices loud and high. So they rose early in the morning, and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and those who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army. And they were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. And then so Jehoshaphat gets together with the the, the people, he says, okay, God said we don't have to fight. What are we going to do? And they say, hey, I've got an idea. Let's put the worshipers out front. I know you've got a sword and you've got a spear, but you guys stand in the back and let's put the people with the, with, with the guitars up front. Let's put the drummers up front. Let's put the dancers up front and those who can lift their voice with melody. Let's put them out there in the fray. I think of that cartoon. Uh, Master, this isn't a very good plan. (laughs) In the natural, this is not a good plan. What chance does a guitar have against a sword? None. But it's not a natural battle. It's a supernatural battle. It's not a natural battle. It's a supernatural battle. When God gets involved, all bets are off. And so they put the worshipers out front. Listen, front row reserved for only those who dance, uh, who, who, not dance, who, who worship more demonstratively. We want the worshipers up front. We want to put the people up front who worship more. This is what Bill Johnson was doing when I see something, when I send something. I send a worshiper up there. Glory to God. We don't do that here. I'm just, it's a good idea. I like it. Now, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. For all of the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill them and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they also helped to destroy one another. And so here we go. Watch this, guys. Here comes. And so when Judah came to the place where the battle was, they're all dead. And so we're worshiping, we're worshiping, we're worshiping, we're getting closer, we're getting closer, we're getting closer. Here comes a time to battle, and the enemy's defeated. Boy, that was a good idea. Let's put the worshipers out front more often. I like this. When, Je- when Jehoshaphat and his people came and take away the spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, and they stripped off from themselves more than they could carry away, and they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much, and on the fourth day they assembled in the, bo- in the valley of Barakah, and, 
And for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place called the Valley of Baraka until this day. And they returned every man to Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem with stringed instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all of the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God had given him rest from all around him. Come on. What happened? The enemy, God defeated the enemies, and then what happened? The whole rest of the world heard about it, and the whole rest of the world was feared, and they terrified once again. There was a day back in, J in David's day and in Solomon's day where they feared the Lord because of the mighty exploits of David. And now they fear the Lord once again because of the mighty exploits of their God who God defeated the enemy. Word got out. Word got out. They put the worshipers out front and won the battle. They put somebody with a piano up there. The harpist defeated the guy with the long bow. How do we fight this kind of a, how do we, people in the natural, how do we fight this kind of an, an enemy? We can't. Peace all of the rest of his days. It's great stuff. Acts 16. Glory to God. Glory to God. Okay, that's Old Testament. Is there a New Testament thing where worship does something, you know, defeats the enemy? Absolutely. Paul and Silas in prison. Now it happened, verse, beginning in verse 16, we're going to read through 34. Now it happened as they went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. This is hilarious. Imagine walking down through downtown Troy and someone comes out of a shop every time you walk down 3rd Street, right, and you cross Broadway. All of a sudden, they start following you, and they're like, hey. And they're shouting out loud, hey, this guy right here, he's a servant of the Most High God, and he proclaims the way of salvation. Can you imagine? Linda, when was the last time you walked through Troy? I think that's going to start happening when you go down there. <laughs> Come on. This is going to happen. People just... Right? And so the demon starts to irritate Paul. Paul's, it goes on for many days. Paul's irritated. I love this story. Many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And then the spirit came out at that very hour. But when her master saw that they had, the hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and, and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities and they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach us customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or to observe. Then the multitude rose up against them. The whole city got in an uproar against them. And the magistrates, the judges, tore their clothes and commanded that they be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. So Paul gets annoyed at this demon, and he casts her out, casts the demon out of this girl. And the city gets in an uproar, and they're like, we're not okay with this. And just because of that one simple act, they beat him, 
with stripes on their backs. There's wounds on their backs from being beaten. Then they put them into the inner prison. Inner prison, not just prison, inner prison, and they shackle them. And so they're beaten with many stripes, put into the inner prison with shackles, and what's Paul and Silas's response? But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. <laughs> what Paul's, what's Paul's and Silas's response? They're just praising God. They're just, hey, listen, we need to have a prayer meeting, and we're going to have a lot of worship with it. You know, a lot of times, we, we, we know now that prayer should always involve worship, right? Our Father, prayer should always involve worship. But here it makes a distinct note that they were praying, but they were also singing psalms. And so they're having a worship service, and they're praying, and they're praying, and they're having a worship service in the middle of the jail cell. And whatever they're saying, they're saying it loud enough because all of the prisoners in the prison are listening. I love, the, I love this scripture where it says when Peter and John were arrested, you know, and then they were deciding what to do with them, and then they decided that they would beat them severely and they would let them go. And so it says when they, when they had beaten them severely and they let them go, they left rejoicing for they had been counted worthy of suffering for the name of Jesus. In the middle of your trial, guys, you need to start worshiping God. Don't wait for your trial to get over before you start worshiping God. Worship God in the midst of your trial because you bring God on the scene and then God starts to fight for you. Too often times in the middle of our trial, we forget about God. It's when we're in the trial that we need to press into God the most because then he fights for us. He does the battle for us and it gets easier. The story of Jonah go to Nineveh. No, I'm getting on this ship to Tarsus. And he starts to go the other way. And he's hiding from God. He's trying to hide from God. When the trial comes, it's meant to drive you into God, not away from God. If the trial comes and it drives you into God, you're going to benefit. You're going to see God's hand move. If, you, if the trial comes and you keep running from God, things are just going to keep getting worse. When the trial comes, run into God. When the trial comes, put on some worship music. Just start to sing. I've been singing songs all week. I think it's the sermon series. I've been singing old worship songs all week. Hey, two points for anybody who likes to write music. Number one, I thought about this during the week. Just things come to me. Number one, the greatest song of all time has already been written. So, and we've talked about this. Song of songs. Jesus is the king of kings. That means he is king over every king. He's Lord of Lords. He's Lord over every Lord. He's Lord over every Lord. Song of Solomon's is Song of Songs. It's the song above every song. No song will ever be written better than Song of Songs. There it is. So if you want to write, write, write a great song, just go to Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, and pull out a couple lyrics and write that song, and you'll have a, you'll have a hit. Also, here's something else that I was thinking. Good stuff, right? Just little cheat codes for songwriters. Another one, right, is there is a song that will win every single time because it's been sung forever. And when we hear it sung, our spirit joins with it naturally. And so if you want to write a worship song that wins, write a worship song that says, holy, holy, holy. How many different versions of the song do you know? I've been saved for 28 years. I probably could list 10 different versions of holy, holy, holy. I just, every year they're coming out with a new version and it's good. 
It's always good. Why? Because our spirit longs to sing holy, 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 because it's the song that's been sung from the beginning of time. Just a cheat code for those who want to write some music. Hey, go with what works. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all of the doors were open, and everyone's chains were loosed. (laughs) When was the last time you heard on the news that there was an earthquake, and every single prison door opened, and, you know, the, the prison just opened up all of its own accord? No, this is supernatural. God is on the scene because they're worshiping him. And so, the, the earthquakes, the supernatural experience, God moves and there's a miracle. How did it come? It came because they were worshiping. It came because they were praying. It came because they were seeking him. Worship still moves. Worship still affects. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself, the call, Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for light and he ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I probably guess that he probably heard some of the worship songs and the prayers that they were singing and praying to God. If the prisoners were hearing it, then the jailer was hearing it too. So they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your whole household. So they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and he washed their stripes. And immediately he and his family were baptized. And now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced having believed in God for his whole household. Praise God. Worship changes situation. Worship changes impossible situations. Paul and Silas are met in an impossible situation. They're beaten, they're put in the inner prison, and they're shackled. There's no way out. And so they just start worshiping God, and then God moves. The magistrates come to them the next morning, and they're like, just, just let them go, let them go quietly. And they're like, no. <laughs> Paul and Silas are, are like, no, we're not going quietly. You come and put us out. And so Paul and Silas made the magistrates, they made the judges come and put them out publicly before the whole city. And then they actually didn't leave the city. They stayed at somebody's house for a few more days. One more scripture, Psalm 149. That's good stuff. My hope in all of this, guys, is that you just become worshipers. And, like, it just becomes a second... It becomes a response. That when... You're faced with a challenge when you're faced with a hard time, when something's going on, or when nothing's going on. Your first response is just worship. Just had nothing else to do, so I decided to worship. It's good. It's always good. It's always a good time to worship God. There's never a bad time to worship God. That, 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 there's no such time. In the midst of trial, worship God. In the midst of suffering, worship God. In the midst of mourning, worship God. Good times, worship God. Bad times, worship God. Morning, noon, and night, worship God, worship God, worship God. There's never a wrong time. And so my hope in all of this is that our first response every time is always to worship God. 
Why? Not because I want to hear a lot of singing. I'm a perfect example. You probably don't want to hear me sing. I want your life to be transformed. And I know that your life will be transformed if you become a worshiper. I know that your life will be transformed if you become those who would choose to worship at, at the drop of a hat. Just because the wind blew. Worship God. Bird flew. Worship God. Sunshine. Worship God. Sunset. Worship God. I'm not looking for a reason, guy. guys. I'm finding them. They're all over. I don't need a reason. I worship God because of who he is. It doesn't matter what the news is telling me is going to happen tomorrow. The world's been falling apart for 2,000 years or more. All of creation groans. All of creation is passing away. We worship God. Psalm 149. This is fantastic. And so we're going to read this psalm. And it's really reinforcing the fact that worship does battle. And it's an Old Testament scripture, obviously. It's in Psalms. It says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise in the assembly of the saints. Let Israel rejoice before the maker and let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrels and with harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth and a two-edged sword in their hand. Wait a minute. I thought we were talking about worship. And he shifts and he says, it's battle. There's a two-edged sword in your hand to execute vengeance on the nation and punishment on the peoples, to bind kings with chains and, to, and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor has all, have all the saints. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have this honor. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have this honor. Praise the Lord. And so worship executes judgment. We don't have to bring our Bible and knock somebody over the head and say, hey, the word says this and you're not following it. We just worship God. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. And when we worship God, God brings his vengeance. We bring God on the scene. When we worship God, we bring God on the scene. We want God on the scene every single time. When it's up to us, we're going to lose. But when we worship God and we bring God on the scene, we never lose. God wins every time. God has never been defeated. He's never been defeated. He's never been defeated. We serve a God. We, we live with a God who has never known defeat. And he never will. It's not in his nature. <laughs> There's a, uh, you guys know the movie Armageddon, right? At the very end, Harry doesn't know how to, how was it? Harry doesn't know how to lose. Harry doesn't know how to quit. Harry do I don't know if lose is right. Is that right? Okay. God doesn't know how to, how to lose. He, he doesn't. He can't. It's impossible for him. He's all-powerful. It means he has all the power. There's no way anybody can defeat him. It's impossible. You know, we're going to worship. Worship team, come on up. We're going to worship to one more song. I want to say this, that too often as Christians, we're playing in the kiddie pool 
right? Kiddie pool's like a foot deep. We're playing in the kiddie pool when God's called us out into the Mariana Trench. I don't know how deep the Mariana Trench is. I think it's a couple miles deep, mile and a half. I don't know. It's really deep. It's deeper than we could actually swim in our human ability because the pressure down there would crush you. But God's called you to that depth. God's called you to that depth. And I'm not saying that everybody in here is in the kiddie pool, but I think too many times Christians are are satisfied with playing in the kiddie pool of who they know God to be when we've been called to the Mariana Trench. We've been called to the depths. And we choose not to enter in. We choose not to enter in. It comes back to the, the Israelites at the mountain. There's an invitation to enter into the presence of God. But they see the mountain smoking with fire and the lightnings and the thunderings, and they're scared, and they don't want to enter in. They cry, they cry out to Moses, and they say, you go and talk with God. Well, I don't want to talk with him. There's an invitation for all of us as Christians, however many of us there are on the planet, all of us to enter into this depth of relationship with God. We do that through prayer. We do that through worship. We do that through reading the word. Worship is primary. Prayer is primary. And so we need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of worship. It needs to be the first thing we do every time. Worship God. It needs to be a response of our heart to worship God and to pray. And it helps if we know the word, even just a little bit. The more, the more of this we can get in us, the better. We're called to the depths. But too often we're just playing, splashing around in the kiddie pool. Come deep. Go deep. God fights for you. We're going to worship. You got something impossible that you're facing in your life? Worship God. Worship God. Give that thing to him and let him fight for you while you rest. As we lift up worship and we bring glory to God, God fights for us. He does battle for us. He defeats the enemy for us. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my disciples would fight for me. But now my kingdom is not from here. We don't fight a natural battle. And you can't win it with a sword or in your own effort. You can only win the battle by God. You can only win the battle by God. It's only by God. It's only by the Spirit. And we do battle in the spiritual realm when we pray, when we read the Word, when we seek His face, and when we worship Him. Come on, let's battle. Stand to your feet, and as we worship, let's just begin to battle battle as we worship. And so just because we're battling when we're worship, it doesn't mean that we have to be demonstrative, but it can be. And so there may be times in worship when you dance wildly before the Lord. There may be times when you sing and lift your voice loudly before the Lord. There may be times when you shout, when you clap, when you lift your hands. There, there's a whole bunch of ways that we can praise the Lord. And so change your posture. Prepare yourself like a man of war. We're about to go in and do battle in the worship and so prepare yourself if you're going in for battle you're going to prepare yourself and you're going to stand with your sword ready 
But we come to worship and we're like, no, get ready. Get ready for worship. Prepare yourself. Change your posture. Take the stance of a victor. Take the stance of a soldier. Jesus. Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. God, we lift your name on high. God, we praise you for you alone are worthy. You're the God who created the heavens and the earth, God. Everything that we see, you made. God, we worship you because you love us. We worship you because of who you are. We remember your love and it casts out all fear and we worship you all the more. We lift up your holy name. Holy is the Lord and worthy are you to be praised. Holy is the Lord and worthy are you to be praised. Holy is the Lord. There's none like you, God. 